Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. I hope you all had a happy holidays and a wonderful New Year's. Pastor Ben himself took the week off to be with his family, and so today we have Pastor Irene preaching. We will start our next sermon series next week, so this week was a choose-your-own-adventure week for sermons. Pastor Irene chose to explore the topic of angels in the Bible as her adventure. You probably have a particular image that comes to mind when you hear the word angel, but how is that word used in the Bible and in the context of the narratives that surround the word when it's used? The one thing I'll say is that the English word angel comes from the Hebrew and Greek words that simply just means a messenger. So I encourage you to keep that core meaning in mind when thinking of angels and um, hearing what Pastor Irene has to say. And with that, let's get you to her sermon for today. Enjoy. Today is the eighth day of Christmas, so we are still in Christmas tide, and so I thought it appropriate to perhaps spend a little bit of time talking about angels. At Christmas, the angels come out of the woodwork. We see them on our trees and in our cards and hear about them in our carols. For the rest of the year, not so much. So I thought it was a good time to touch base with this interesting concept a concept that's a little hard to nail down, but that we see throughout our scriptures. The the fat cherubs that we see on Christmas cards with the little wings, um, those actually are not a biblical image. Those look more like the god Eros in the Greek tradition. Um, Cupid, I think you might know him as. Uh, In our scripture... The cherubim are a little scarier and a little more overwhelming. Um, What a cherubim looks like is two sets of wings, one set crossed usually over the chest and one over the feet. They have one head, but they have four faces. So a face in each direction, one of a lion, uh, one of an ox, one of a human, and one of an eagle. And their legs are straight and human-like, but their feet look like the hooves of a bull. So, a being that will catch your attention, certainly. Um, The uh, seraphim, another kind of angel, are usually depicted as large lions with, with great big wings. So, again, something to really capture your attention. I'm, I'm a person who counts. I started life as an engineer and then as a scientist, and so I count things. And one thing I do is when I look into scripture, I count the number of times certain kinds of topics come up. I actually think if the scripture talks about something more rather than less, that perhaps we should pay attention to it. So, for instance, love comes up 310 times in our scriptures, forgiveness 130 times, Angels appear 270 times, so maybe we should talk about them rather more than we do. I want to start with a story from Genesis, an angel story, 
It's the one about Jacob wrestling with an angel. You probably are at least have some passing familiarity with it. Perhaps at least colored a figure of a man and angel wrestling when you were in Sunday school. Um, here's the backstory, though. Jacob is not a nice person. He's a liar and a cheat. He's a real trickster. And at one point, he is a, he is a twin, by the way. His older twin brother, Esau, um, he had tricked out of both Esau's inheritance as the oldest son and tricked him out of the blessing that their father would give to an older son. And Esau was pretty darn angry about it, and Jacob hightailed it out of town. This is years later. He wants to come back, and he's not sure how Esau is going to greet him for obvious reasons. And so he comes to the edge of Esau's lands, and he sends his wives and his flocks and all of his goods forward to cross a river, and he remains alone on the bank of a river for a night. The next thing we hear is that he wrestled all night with the form of a man. Uh, we are given no detail. This happens a lot in Bible stories, by the way. We're often left with a lot of questions because of the lack of detail. We don't know how this man came on the scene, whether they talked or not, why they ended up wrestling. But they wrestled all night, and sometime during the night, it, Jacob seems to have come to understand this wasn't a normal man. This might have been a divine being. Um, it's a pretty hard tussle. Jacob's hip gets dislocated, and he continues to wrestle anyway. So he's now wrestling in a lot of pain. But toward dawn, Jacob manages to pin the angel. The angel cries, uncle. And Jacob says, I'll let you up, but I want a blessing. Now, the angel doesn't actually give him a blessing. What he does is ask Jacob for his name. And Jacob responds with his name, which, by the way, means heel sneak. It was an appropriate name for a pretty sneaky guy. Um, and the angel says, you will no longer be Jacob, the heel sneak. You will be Israel, the God wrestler. And then Jacob responds. He's got a lot of cheek, actually. He wants to know the name of this angelic being. It's not something that you routinely ask of a divine being and certainly not of God. In the Hebrew tradition, um, you don't even utter the name. And actually, to know someone's name is to have some power over them. And the angel declines. And what happens is Jacob responds in a really interesting way. He says, I have seen God face to face and lived. So what's going on here? Angels, sometimes at least in scripture, show up as human beings, and then as the story progresses, it becomes clear that they are more than human beings, and often they are actually labeled as angels. And then after the fact, in referring back to some of these experiences, some biblical characters will then say it was God or the divine that they had encountered. Um, what's actually true in terms of scholarship is that the writings about angels are very mixed, probably in part because these scriptures were written over hundreds of years. Um, but the best guess, and certainly what I agree with, is that angels are actually a projection of God into reality. They're not autonomous beings. They, they move with God's will. They convey God's will in messages. And so 
when we see an angel in scripture, what we're really talking about is a very profound spiritual experience. And this is what Jacob has had. This wrestling all night long, um, this is about transformation. And Jacob needs some transformation in his life. He is about to become a leader of the Hebrew people. Remember, these, the people are called the children of Israel because this man, Israel, um, will be their ancestor. And so the message from the angel is he needs to get his act together. Um, he needs to become more than the man he has been. And it seems that over this night of wrestling, he does, in fact, become more. Uh, one of the reasons we know this is that he gets a new name. This is another thing. It's a biblical theme. When people are at a turning point in their life, God will give them a new name. Um, Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul. And so likewise, he's given a new name. Um, what's also true is that the spiritual experience that he has seems to has, have transformed him so much that he can do something that the scripture has said can't be done, which is to look upon the face of God and not die. The understanding was most humans don't have the spiritual strength to encounter God directly and not be so overwhelmed that they literally die. And so when he makes this pronouncement, I have seen God face to face and lived, what it does is indicate that in fact, in this transformative process, he has become very strong spiritually. So, these angels, they are one way of talking about an encounter with the divine, a profound spiritual experience. There are a number of other ways. We see this all throughout scripture where people somehow have an encounter with divinity. It may be the appearance of an angel. It may be a cloud from which they see a voice, a burning bush, uh, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. There are a number of different ways that they encounter divinity. Now, when I was young, I remember being told that God simply interacted with people very differently 2,000 and 3,000 years ago and that we are now in an age where we don't experience God in the same way. I don't believe that for a second. We human beings have always experienced divinity, I think, in powerful spiritual experiences that are very hard to put into words. Um, they are something beyond our normal experience and beyond our language. And so we try, and we do it with metaphor, we do it with poetry, and we do it in the cultural context in which we live. And so what we're hearing is these people talking about these profound experiences using the imagery that conveyed um, at least partially uh, what had gone on for these people when they encountered divinity. Now, there's one thing that we didn't hear in Jacob's story, but it's an important aspect of angels. And we hear it actually in um, several of the Christmas passages about angels. So I want to read those and then talk a little bit about that. Um, in 1 Luke, uh, there is an appearance of an angel to Zacharias. And it says this, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. Um, later in the first chapter of Luke, we have the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. Mostly angels aren't named, so it's a little unusual that we know it's the angel Gabriel. Um, but he says to her, The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then in the second chapter of Luke, where the angel appears to the shepherds. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Um, a human reaction to these kinds of experiences is often fear first. They're overwhelming experiences. Um, what I think we know intuitively is they mean great change in our lives, um, change that we may be afraid of or maybe don't welcome because we all like to be really comfortable in our lives. And what the angels are doing is offering an invitation that we not duck for cover, but that we lean in. Hence, their first words, do not be afraid. You know, stand your ground, lean in. There's something really important happening here. As I said, angels are one way to talk about these profound experiences, and we have other language and um, a little more modern language as well. Um, Eric Elness is a minister. I think he's a UCC minister, but he wrote a book, pretty well known. You may have heard of it. It's called Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics. Um, when it first came out, there were lots of sermon series based on the book, which is why I think you may have heard of it. Um, what Eric Elms says in this book is that when we get to really hard times in our lives where we're struggling for one reason or another, he calls that wandering in the dark wood. It, the image comes from Dante, actually. And he has this to say about that process and what comes out of that process. Though commonly understood as a place to be feared and avoided, the dark wood is the surest place to meet God. It is a place where you may feel uncertain, empty, lost, or alone. Yet these feelings can be your greatest assets on your journey. And according to the ancients, you don't need to be a saint or spiritual master to experience profound awakening. You don't even have to be above average. All you really need to be is struggling. And Eric Elms goes on to talk about the gifts that we have when we are wandering in a dark wood or having a dark night of the soul. One of them is being thunderstruck. And that's another way of saying being visited by an angel. That somehow when we are in these times of struggle that we have profound experiences. That doesn't mean that the pain we have is good and we really, really need it. Um, but the truth is, and I've certainly experienced this in my own life, um, at times that have been rather dark in which I have been struggling, what has also come out of that for me often are glimpses of the divine and transformation in my own life. Now, when these moments come to us, whether we call it the visitation of an angel or we call it being thunderstruck or um, any number of ways we might refer to this, maybe having a wow moment. 
maybe having a coincidence that's too much of a coincidence, um, maybe hearing a small voice inside of you, that we respond pushing back a little bit, as I said, because what happens is our comfort gets disturbed. We long for these moments, and when they come to us, we're often terrified because it can mean really radical change, and we all say we want change in our lives, but when the change comes, it's usually not, we thought, not what we thought was going to happen, and so we're like, wait a minute, not this change, it's the other change that I wanted. Um, so we get disturbed. Our beliefs might actually suddenly be pulled away from us like having the rug pulled out from under us. Everything we thought was right, we have to question. Um, we might find we have a huge turning point in our life, um, a turning point we didn't imagine we were going to have to walk. That happened to me in my own ministry. Um, and I think it happens to a number of people in their lives, particularly after a great loss or a great struggle. For me, it was a struggle with cancer, but um, I think these changes happen um, at those points in our lives. So the good news is that transformation happens. The bad news is that, like Jacob, we are often marked for life. That dislocated hip that he had, the tradition is he limped for the rest of his life. And so he was physically marked and permanently changed by the experience, but he was also so transformed that he came face to face with God. I want to say one thing about these um, words, do not be afraid. They're not empty reassurance like don't be afraid of that mouse in the corner or the snake. Um, what they are is really something much better, a herald of sorts. The message to us when we have these experiences is that change is coming in the world and that we are going to be part of it. Uh, Pastor Duane often ends his sermons with um, action steps, steps to take in the world, um, and that's good, and sometimes I do that too. But today, what I want to do is suggest some steps that are perhaps more contemplative. If you are today wandering in a dark wood, if you're having a dark night, if you're struggling in your life, I would suggest this. Um, consider the possibility of leaning in to that experience. Um, our first reaction is often to struggle um, but if we lean in, transformation can happen. If we are comfortable today in our lives, if things are going right, if we feel like we're on the right path, um, I would say perhaps lean into the idea that questioning our comfort can be a good thing. Um, it's very easy to get into the rut of thinking, I am on the right track, I have the right theology, I, ha I take care of my neighbors in the right way. Um, things are good. And sometimes even get to that point of thinking that um, we've cornered the truth, which is a very dangerous place to be spiritually in my view. And so we think we're on the right path and that's good, but to lean in to the idea that maybe um, change in some form, course correction is also a good thing and a thing that we might want to consider.
I'm going to end. It's a prayer, but it's actually the words of a hymn. It's a Catholic hymn, so you may or may not be familiar with these words. Be not afraid. I go before you always. Come, follow me, and I will give you rest. You shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander far in safety, though you do not know the way. You shall speak your words to foreign men, and they will understand. You shall see the face of God and live. And the people of God responded, Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.